So, hey, this is John Reed. I'm with Carolyn Cinder at Collision 2016. We literally cleared the conference out. Yeah, it's we're like completely the, empty. We're the last two people. You're a UX designer, researcher. You do a bunch of other stuff. We're going to get to that in a sec. But you're also kind of a troublemaker, I think. <sighs> My mom would probably say that. <laughs> in a good way, though. Yeah. In, in that you bring up issues that I think are really important, um, including this issue around design for consent, which has to do with how do you design for to prevent harassment and create more inclusive web cultures, which I think is a, a beautiful project that you've been working on. Thank you. And we can't talk about your day job or you would have to kill me and that would be really unfortunate. It's true. <laughs> but we know that you're a machine learning expert. Yes. Is that fair to say? I will. I wouldn't go with expert. I would definitely say machine learning enthusiast. Right. I'm a user researcher and yeah. UX designer at a really large company that uh, works inside of machine learning and natural language processing. And you know a lot about chatbots. I know a lot. I also, yeah, I've worked yep. with chatbots and I know a lot about chatbots. And you know about raising hell at South by Southwest, which we might get into. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and then also another interesting thing about your background, you have a master's from the, uh, is it the Interactive Telecom? Is that right? Interactive Telecommunications Program. Yeah, and you worked under? Uh, Clay Shirky. Well, okay. I... Um, You're doing a better job in your bio right. than me, so let's just no, let okay. you do so, it. So, yeah, I have, um, I have a master's from the Interactive Telecommunications <laughs> yeah. Program at NYU. It's yeah. in the Tisch School of the Arts. It was started by Red Burns back in 1979, I want to say. Um, she was... a like a leading thought leader in technology and film, primarily with video. And so this program has been a really great area for creative leaders who are interested in what what um, what we can do with technology to make art and how to make things for people. Um, yep. We take this class as graduate students in our very first semester called Applications and Red. Um, I was one of the last classes that like ever got to meet her. She died the next year. Oh. Um, she opens it with this presentation and it's, 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 um, it always starts with like, I hope you. And one of the lines is I hope you welcome cellists, loners and poets. And I hope nice. you remember you're designing for humans and not machines. Right. So like a lot of our program is focused around uh, humanizing technology and how do you solve problems in whimsical ways. Uh, while I was there, I took a lot of design classes and uh, social media classes, particularly uh, political uses of social media, where I studied under Clay Shirky. And it's funny because my stereotype of Clay Shirky was that he'd be like this rock star that'd be kind of inacceptable, but you said he was a great mentor to you. This I is mean, sort of cool. Clay was was accessible to like every student. Wow. Like if you wanted to chat with Clay, you just had to email him that's or cool. go up and say hi. Um, that's a th I mean, that's the thing. Like Dan Schiffman, who is a great evangelist of processing, is there. Tom Igo, who helped make Arduino what it is, is there. And they're all incredibly accessible and easy to talk to. Cool. Marina Zerkow is one of the most amazing artists and tech innovators. I mean, that's also such a weird way to describe her. She's a fantastic artist who thinks about technology in really unusual ways and can apply it to all these different kinds of spheres. She's represented by Bitform's gallery. She's there. Um, Laura McCarthy is there as well. She's a fantastic creative technologist who sort of focuses on um, creating uncomfortable spaces to sort of bring people together and exploring like nice. all these satirical ways to use social media to sort of make us closer. Um, there's just, it's an amazing roster of professors as well as an extended adjunct family. So a lot of adjuncts uh, come from the program itself, 
Um, it's just, it's an amazing kind of creative uh, community to be a part of. Well, what I'm struck by is that you've been able to bring a lot of that into your work, which is not always easy because a lot of us have amazing experiences in school, but then yeah. we have a hard time translating that professionally. But right. it sounds to me like those themes around humanizing technology really stayed with you, which is cool. I think there's something our, our head says, uh, Red stepped down before her death and Dana, Dana Sullivan, who's now the head of our program, uh, who also is an ITP graduate, um, there's something he, he said where it's like, we're preparing you not for your first job, but for your last job. Mm. And Red's big thing was not preparing us to enter the workforce, but preparing us to think. So right. ITP is where you learn, you go to learn how to think and rethink about technology. So for me, it's like not strange at all that like, this is what I do or that I have a day right. job that I, I really like, but that I also do this stuff as intensely as my day job, because that's just very ITP of me. Yeah. And I don't know how to not give a shit about the things I care about. Yeah. Well, when you're done with this phase of your career, I think you might need to redesign our educational system, but that's a whole different yeah, I'll, project I'll, for, I'll work on that next. For, for another time. Well, that was actually a <laughs> class that exists at ITP that, uh, Dan, we call him Dano, our head Dano yeah. taught and then Clay taught. And then I think someone else is teaching, but it's called hacking higher ed. So that is yeah. something that like, there's a lot of, I hate this term, educational disruptors, yeah. but there's a lot of people that are thinking about ways to make education better that are coming out of ITP. And that is cool. a, a major component. We're going to need them. So let's get to your talk here at Collision 2016. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about like, what is for people who aren't familiar, what did you talk about and what is designing for consent in particular? So I talked a lot about how to use, use UX and user experience design and user research to mitigate harassment inside of uh, large scale networks, particularly social media. But designing consent came out of this conversation I had with my friend Sidette Harry of the Coral Project. The Coral Project is a Mozilla Foundation initiative to make the commenting systems better um, for like print and industry right. uh, online. And um, I was telling Sadat something where I was like, the funny thing about Twitter is that it really leans forward for conversation. Unless you're, unless you're private, um, anyone can, anyone can communicate with you on Twitter. It's really right. consenting on your behalf to any interaction, even if you don't follow that person. So all these normal kind of guardrails or organizational infrastructural instances we have in other social media, um, it gets worn down a bit in Twitter. So like if you're on Reddit, people can find you across multiple boards, but if you're posting on that board, you're wanting to talk to people, right. but people aren't seeking you out across multiple channels inside of Facebook. Facebook is highly structured. So it's like harder to have conversation initiated with you unless you have really open privacy settings, but even still, it's a lot harder to talk to people that you don't know. Right. Unless you're posting on a very public thing. But even still, if you change your privacy settings, you're still open to your friends, but you are um, you maybe won't exist in that public thread anymore. But that's not the case with Twitter. Twitter, right. unless you're private, Twitter is consenting on your behalf to any interaction because there's no intermediary step between right. private and, and public. There's no semi-privacy. There's no way to be semi-public. There's no way to create certain content that can't be uh, seen right. by certain people. And Twitter has acknowledged a civility issue but in my mind they haven't really done a whole lot to improve upon that and and let's let's be honest it disproportionately affects women and minorities and people who essentially become targets totally um but it could it can impact almost anyone yeah. who who runs afoul of certain 
what what I think of almost like group think herds who totally. might organize against Well, them. there is a Twitter engineer that um, spoke out against something, and then all of a sudden he was being attacked by multiple people, and his reaction was, I didn't realize everyone could see this. And it's like, right, you're an engineer at Twitter with 200 followers, yeah. but you're, 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 you have a private, you have a public setting. Right. And the way, the feedback he's getting from the system was, no one's really interacting with me. I'm unknown. I'm on this unknown corner of the internet. Yeah. And it's like, well, yes, but if someone Googles engineer Twitter and your name pops up, then like you're very accessible, but that wasn't what the, that wasn't the feedback that the system was giving him. So he had this false idea that he was private because of a low follower count, even though he was well, actually public. Well, and remember that woman, I forget her name now, but Justine Sacco, is it the AIDS tweet? Yeah. yeah everyone always brings that up, but like well, she's, a, she's a good example. She is because she, she only had, tweeted that to, she had what? 200 followers. She had 200 followers. And then Buzzfeed she, picked she it up. She tweets this yeah. thing. She hops on a plane. Yeah. And, and, and what, like nine yeah. hours later, she lands and or however long. Yeah. And, it, she, and her, she no longer has a yeah. job. Well, that, that's, that's, that's the funny thing about it is that, um, and again, like that's feedback she was getting from the system. So she was using the system the way the system was telling her to use it, which was an incorrect way to use it. Right. Because that's not the way, that's not the way data actually works inside of Twitter. Like our right. language, everything we post on Twitter is really a series of bytes. It flows incredibly quickly. It can be pulled up in any time based off the way someone's searching inside right. of Twitter based off time of day or location based sure. off a myriad of analytics that are already tied to your account. Like she was using Twitter the way Twitter told her to use it, which is not the way language exists inside of Twitter. So like, you know, she tweeted something, no one favored it. She got on a plane to her. That tweet was stale. It was old. And yeah. there was no reason that anyone, anyone would, recognize it or interact with it and that's like that's the design of twitter it's about immediacy except that that's not the way data exists inside of a system yeah. data can be stale but still recalled from a url so like you know, the internet's really asynchronous it's easy to pull things up like really out of context over a longer period of time or at any point right so like her her tweet going viral is a good example of how asynchronous the internet actually is yeah. which is like we can resurface old content like, what was it like last week? We were celebrating the 10 year anniversary of that video called Shoes by Kelly. Yeah. That's still on the internet. Right. But that, that's a, been a decade of that existing. Um, so, the point of all this is that, you know, she was, Sacco was using Twitter the way Twitter had told sure. her to use it. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, we think a lot about dealing with things like harassment. Mm -hmm. We think in, in largely in terms of like punitive and enforcement type measures. You took a different tack in your presentation talking about, well, can, is it possible I can build this into the design itself? Totally. And, and that's what you've taken on and you, and you presented, I guess, a prototype of what you're hoping to actually present or planning to present to Twitter. Um, or? it's something where like, I would like Twitter to see it. Mm -hmm. And um, there have been like, you know, there's been like talking of if that will ever happen. Um, right. Can you give some examples of the kinds of things that you thought of that you th think would help to address this? Yeah, it's it's easier if you see it, but it's it's yeah. it's more privacy settings, meaning like turning off the replies on a tweet, uh, right. allowing people to filter out uh, content, meaning like right. um, if someone has less than a certain amount of followers, they can't talk to me. Right. Or if someone has less than a certain amount of followers, uh, they can't, or less than, their account's less than a certain amount of days old, they can't talk to me, but also they couldn't see you. So right. that's that came out of specific research I did into Gamergate where 
people were creating brand new accounts to harass people. So like they, they would get blocked on the regular account and they would go create a new account and continue to harass someone. So a good way to tell if, it, if, it, if an account was fake would be like if it was created day of. So like if yeah. you just wanted to cut through a lot of the noise, if you thought you were going to be harassed on Twitter, a great thing would be able to be like, if your account's less than a month old and has less than five followers not you're following 60 people but it has yeah. less than five followers you're pr it's probably not a real account right um but the thing about that is a lot of these things we're trying to allow for more user agency meaning like right. you maybe maybe you don't maybe you think you're a power user and you don't want to interact with anyone that has less than 100 followers or a thousand right and i don't think that that's necessarily wrong for a user to want that that's right. up to that user um and Sometimes I get pushed back when I say that when people are like, oh, you're creating this hegemonic society. I'm like, well, a lot of users actually want to interact with everyone is one thing I learned from. I did like a wide study into how people how how people who are victims of Gamergate wanted to access Twitter and use it. And a lot of people actually want to interact with all of their followers. Right. They just want periods of where they don't have to when they're being attacked. Well, and I would make the argument that ship has already sailed. Like, for example, Clout has already built yeah. a business upon organizing people by perceived totally. status. And then you look at someone like someone like a Beyonce, yeah. her opinions have a thousand times more weight than mine by default. Right. It doesn't matter like what settings I right. adjust. You no, know? for sure. But a lot of it is like, cause I get into a lot of free speech arguments where I am completely yeah, yeah. pro free speech. I just think that you should also be allowed to interact with the ways you, you, you want to interact with things. So a lot of this came out of me trying to replicate like conversations we have offline. So right yeah. now, like think about all the affordances you have offline. You can see everyone around you. You can lower your tone of voice. You can walk away. You can, you can go to a different location. You can make an excuse. You can just stop talking. You yeah. could throw a drink in someone's face. So I was trying to think of like, what are ways to like design to take those elements of what could shift a, a conversational dynamic right. and put it into design. So what what is the equivalency of walking away? What does a pause look like? So I've been also thinking about like, how do you incorporate more emojis? Like, could you pause a thread and say like, I'm the creator of the thread and I'm done with it. And I don't want to be notified of it. You know, so instead of deleting it, like, could you think of ways where you could let someone know, like, I want to pause. And maybe that doesn't need to be designed. Like when I want to pause conversations, I have Twitter, I stop responding to people. I just favor it. And eventually people pick up really quickly that I don't want to talk anymore, but I'm acknowledging them in a polite way that they're there. Right. So it's like, it's understanding those kinds of nuances. Like what do we use with the tools that we have to create right. more nuanced conversation? And also using data configuration and, totally. and data streams in conjunction with that. Yeah. And and so is that the beginnings of how your interest in machine learning and UX design could also begin to intersect in some ways? Completely, completely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I would love to be able to spend a lot of time looking, working inside of machine learning with social media. Like, that would be a really a dream come true. It's one of the reasons I like chatbots. It's one of the reasons I wrote this thing on Medium about Tay and how I thought it could be designed better. Mm. Um, Were you a fan of Tay? No, not really. I mean, like, I thought Tay had a lot Tay of really had, great she potential. Had, she had a sharp mouth, Tay. Well, I thought she had a lot of really, I thought it had a lot of really great potential. I don't like that we genderize bots. I don't like that Tay yeah, automatically that had gender, to be a, a right, she. Yeah, right, yeah. But also, one thing I didn't like was, like, they didn't, when you put a bot somewhere, it, it amplifies the system it's on. So, like, yeah. if you were to create a bot with a megaphone, it'd be a loud bot right? Like yeah. it wouldn't be a quiet bot. And that's not shocking to anyone. Or if you made a bot that like ordered food, like there would be certain interfaces. So it would, it would, it would amplify all the issues with a food ordering system of like right. getting things wrong, f like glitching out in your order, 
giving you too many sides. I thought Tay amplified our cultural issues and how to, ugly we are it, as a culture. But not, but not <laughs> not necessarily though, because that's that's the issue I have with Tay's when people are like, Tay's a problem society. I'm like, well, no. 4chan likes to prank things, especially marketing things. Yeah. So like there was a trolling campaign against Charmin where people were tweeting about butts to Charmin. Right. Like I had a guy friend who loves to go on 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 marketing Facebook accounts, and he'll he'll do like um what's it? It's like one of the battery companies. He'll be like, well, what happens if I swallowed a battery? What if I swallowed seven? And he just and he'll do it for like hours because he just thinks it's funny. Uh, he's diabolical. He's awful. But like, but the point of that is, and he'll also he'll like tweet at band aids like I I I ate band aids. What's <laughs> nice. gonna happen? But like, but what I'm saying is that there are some people that just like to to like take the steam out of right. or take the stuffing out of you know marketing campaigns. And so I don't think that They're like taking more of a bad apples. Yeah, theory, that there's some bad apples out there. I mean, there that are. We don't suck as a culture. There there All are, right. and we definitely <laughs> suck sometimes as a culture. But like people looked at Tay of like this is what happens with the internet. I'm like, no, this is what happens when a group of people on 4chan realize that they can make a Microsoft, Microsoft, a Bill Gates company bought curse at people. And they thought that it was funny because yeah, on paper it is funny, except then it was yeah. also used as a tool to circumvent the block button. So you could attach like Tay and the person that blocked you into a conversation, say Tay repeat after me. And then you could all of a sudden get Tay to harass people. So the repeat after me function was like a harassing element. So like the people yeah. that were making Tay didn't think about like, what's the infrastructure of Twitter? What happens if most people are tied right. to something? How do we pause? Like when I interacted with Tay, I asked Tay about Eric Garner and it returned a very nuanced response. That nuanced response probably disappeared towards the end of the day, but they did train Tay to have some nuanced responses. Right. They could have set up hard-coded guardrails and they didn't do that. And that's also kind of the issue. So like, you know, the reason Tay ended up being terrible was, you know, inside of machine learning, the more you use something a certain way, the stronger ties you create towards an answer. Right. So like there was some QA inside of Tay and then 4chan completely retrained it in a short amount of time by asking it certain questions and that did make it racist because it was asking it was asking questions and positive affirmations of racism and yeah. that's how they completely retrained the corpus and the corpus was open the corpus was growing so when the corpus of of like racism outweighed the other corpus that's when the corpus mm -hmm. shifted so can i ask you from a machine learning and design perspective do you think you could have done that differently to for example to create different kind of fail safes and different weights on different things that would have prevented some of that or totally i mean it yeah. just it just a lot of it is like a lot of it's just a lot of data research and mm -hmm. user research into where you're deploying it and how in example cases how you think people are going to interact with it so like a, a slack bot would be made in an entirely different way yeah and a slap bot a slack bot going into a certain channel would be made into an entirely different way like i'm on a right. women's dev channel and i'm on like a, a like a work channel so okay. like if we had a slack ordering bot like we would have to make a channel just for our office right and then from there figure out who was going to be the card holder but then that would be a whole like so those two things or what i've what i've already determined here is okay like this is and this is you do would do this programmatically of like location right mm -hmm. so channel of certain recipients in a specific geolocation and then owner of card automatic payment Right. right. And then from there, do you add in a max order of? Yeah. And then order must only hit card once. Right. If order is hit again, don't process, return a certain 
response to the group. Those are all programmatic queries I'm like yeah. I'm talking out. And that's right. around a very specific point, which is like it's on Slack, so it's a closed it's a it's a closed area. Yeah. Two, it's a food ordering bot. And then three, it's a food ordering bot with maybe like max twenty people would would interact with. Or in my case, my office it would be five people. Yeah. So yeah. like those are all specific things. So like for the example of Tay, it would have been like, okay, like let's test what happens if someone's muted Tay and someone else hasn't, or someone's blocked Tay and someone has it. Let's right. test what happens when Tay is is interacting on a DM. Can other people be added or removed? Yeah. Can Tay kick people off? What is Tay's response to sexual assault? What's Tay's response to pizza ordering? Like, you know, what happens if another brand gets involved right. in interacting with Tay? Do we care? Yeah, and then yeah. it's having an opinion about it. Um, right. So it, it's like those are all things you structure. Yeah. And you structure inside of your knowledge tree around these responses. So like it's yeah. just it's it's a lot of structure. And I think that they were aiming for a more structureless bot to see if that was possible. And that's a totally worthwhile experiment. Just don't subject that your experiment to like thousands of people. A few days ago, when you and I were on the ill-fated riverboat cruise, long oh story. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that we were on a cruise that like never took off, and it was really boring with really awful drinks. Like anyone that offers you yeah. a hurricane in New Orleans, you should just say no. This they is coming from they a don't native, like you. This is coming from a native New Orleaner. Yeah. So take it seriously. I told my mom that the the drinks that we agreed with on the cruise were hurricanes, and her her mouth dropped. She's like, "I'm so glad you left early. That's what I would yeah. have done, Caroline." I'm like, "Thanks, mom. You trained me well." Someone's got to defend New Orleans culture from the. <laughs> appropriators right also the worst chardonnay too i was just like i'm out peace i'm like i don't even know where the scotch is i don't even want to stick around and see how cheap that but, was but before you before you left and before i bailed we uh we got into a talk about facebook yeah and because obviously facebook made prominent uh, right. chatbot announcements to that you were very very specific that you do not consider that an ai chatbot it's so not. so let's hear about that ai is not machine learning and, and people think that because you name a bot that it's yeah. artificial intelligence. First of all, artificial is not intelligent. We're like we're really far away from true AI. Yeah. But secondly, like chatbots are not artificial intelligence because they're just it's more structured machine learning. It's a specific algorithm yeah. that creates a response from like a series of Markov chains or a series of already pre-written answers. And if it's creating yeah. answers, those answers are coming from already given answers though. So like Tay, for example, they clearly structured the responses of Tay to understand yeah. like noun, pronoun, adjective, verb, and what a sentence looks like. So like there are also probably some predetermined pre-written responses. Like Cortana has a screenwriter that works on Cortana, yeah. same as Siri, right? So like Siri isn't probably coming up with a lot of response responses on the fly right. but that's probably due to compliance law and yeah. that's also probably the same thing with these facebook res responses is it's probably there's probably a few things that are off the cuff yeah but they're those off the cuff responses are similar enough to a pre-written predetermined yeah. and approved response so it's not ai it's just machine learning towards responding so what do you think of facebook's chatbots do they suck are they commercially viable but only in a limited way should they have waited until they were more sophisticated what is your view I haven't played with them yet, but I have heard okay. that they were a little disappointing. And so BuzzFeed skewered the yeah. shopping bot. Yeah, you were telling me that. So yeah. but that's the thing, is like so shopping is actually a really broad thing. And this is what we were talking about. It's like yeah. weather is a little less broad because right. it's location and then like set APIs are probably coming from places like the Weather Channel. Yeah. So if you just say like 
like what how like what is the temperature it will return something do i need a jacket okay the bot's not gonna know but if you can train the bot enough to be like yeah i don't like cold weather it may respond with that but also like how many other people are using the bot so it's really hard to make a bot hyper specific to Mm -hmm. you it's easier to make an app that remembers that you've set presets of like this is my favorite temperature Right. And then you ask like what the weather is and then it tells you based off of like your temperature settings that yeah. you probably want a jacket. That's not machine learning. That's just right. a smart app remembering things you set. And I mentioned that particularly because I used to have an app that would tell me. Right. Like. Bring your umbrella. Yeah. Bring your umbrella. Right. Um, or like you're going to want a coat. Yeah. But that was just me setting presets of of filling out a profile and saying this is how cold I get. This is like this is. um. Like this is like the kind where I'd want this sort of sweater in. So if that's the case, are you more of an advocate of of apps like that? Or do you think that where you can define preferences or do you think that a bot can really be effective for people? I think a bot can do that. But again, like it's it's like like that would be a really good like that would be a good example of machine learning. Right. But and, and I think it's doable if you make it to where the bot is is kind of like it is an app. And yeah. the idea is that from the start, you are going to train it to what you want, but you still fill out those presets. Because like what I yeah. described would be a really great one-on-one bot that you pay like, I don't know, three or $4 for. And it starts to tell you more inf- information about, about the weather you're doing. But it's pulling from a certain thing. And then it's generating preset responses of, hey, Caroline, or hey, pseudonym you want to use. Yeah. It is 57 degrees you said that you like sweaters at this temperature. What do you think about a jean jacket? Yeah. And then if I were like, I hate jean jackets, no, then hopefully it would remember the next time to never bring up a jean jacket. Or if right. I was like, that's okay. Like, hopefully it would, re- it would remember. And it should through like, through the kind of algorithm it's utilizing. But if you're using a generic bot, yeah. and this is the difference. Like what I described would be something that like someone deployed knowing that it's a one-to-one experience with the consumer that like that data isn't going to affect all of the data. Right. So it's starting with almost no data and starting with a lot of presets. It's pre-trained. So it's generating a small data corpus and it's held probably semi-locally or something, right? Like it's, it's in a different spot with Facebook. Their bots were probably trained for widespread usage, which means that they're not good at narrow examples. So a shopping bot, well, what encompasses shopping? Is that clothing? Is it e-commerce? Is it food? Like, Ordering a pizza is really different than asking, trying to ask a bot if they have a shirt in a different color. And it creates different responses as to parse things differently. Also, it's integrated in different spaces. And that's the different is like it's the integration and like how specific did they train it? Because if you're ordering a pizza, you don't want the bot to return. Oh, well, your library book is overdue. Yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, in fact, I talked with the Go Butler uh, founder this week, and he was talking about how they narrowed their focus from very broad to, you know, just basically like airline reservations. Right. <laughs> you know, just knock that out of the park and go from there. Right. <laughs> you know. And airline reservations, again, are really different. Or like yeah. insurance bots. Really yeah. different. Both of those probably technically fall under commerce. Yeah, yeah. You know. Are you getting pinged? We have a live interruption, ladies and gentlemen. Checking the smartphone during the podcast. It's awesome. My mom's supposed to pick me up. (laughs) Cool. Um, So, yeah, anyway, we're pretty close to the end of our talk anyway, I think. But um, (laughs) during the during during our our, uh, discussion at sea, uh, (laughs) 
I, I brought up this issue of, of these, this uh, documentary I had watched about certain Japanese yeah. men who have developed oh, like yeah. very, yeah. very deep emotional relationships with, with, with essentially a female, you don't like the term, but a gendered, a gendered bot. And, yeah. and you, you had an interesting reaction to that because your, your feeling about it was we're spending a lot of time designing for stuff that doesn't really inspire the imagination or, or I guess make, make the world a better place. I mean, I guess, so what I was trying to say, and this is very ITP of me and I'm totally going to send this podcast to our like yeah. alumni list. Um, I'm excited to see what people do when like bot technology becomes more accessible for us to make. I'm yeah. worried that like the making will be really constrained to like this one-to-one of like what a bot already is. Like I want to see what bots can be and what we use to solve bots right and like and how do we use conversational styles to start solving different problems like one thing i the example i gave you is like what would it be like to have a movie that's led by a chat bot so like fake ai like right and and as a creator like my background's in photography and cinema studies and storytelling and anthropology so like i think about that a lot it's one of the reasons i started making video games when i was at at ITP was what would it be like to have a branching narrative, yeah. you know, a choose your own adventure, right. but in a film or you're talking to something and what would it be like if cinema starts to look like that or TV shows like TV's moving to computers now, mainly like laptops and you know, like it's moving away from watching it on a big screen at a right. certain time. It's moving to much more digital space. Reduce so, Sophie's choice. What? Reduce Sophie's Sophie's choice. So at the end yeah. you can choose yeah. for yeah. Sophie. Like, like, but that. like, but like, <laughs> Or, or even things of, um, you know, to even be boring, like what would it be like to have a personal shopper bot that actually is designed better? And, you know, maybe it's like color preferences. Maybe it's, I don't know. Like, again, I'm getting too hung up in what we already have because I haven't spent enough time thinking about yeah. what we could have. Right. But like, what would it be like if we tried to solve more interesting problems using bots instead of just trying to tell people a thing to do or creating a concierge. And like, that's what I'm really excited about with this bot revolution we have is if more and more people, if it becomes more and more normalized for people to think about bots, are we going to get more and more creative as people get bored? Right. And I, I hope so. You know, I really, really hope so. Like I hope we stop creating concierge services and i hope we start creating something interesting i just don't know what that interesting thing is yet but i'm thinking about it you're putting out a call to action for all those listening and consuming yeah get to work on something earth shattering and inspiring right and a lot of earth shattering stuff i see is made by allison Parrish and darius kazmini and thrice dotted and they're all amazing bot makers you should follow on twitter there you go uh before we wrap, I know our listeners would be very disappointed if we didn't briefly discuss South by Southwest. Oh, no. Where you got yourself into a lot of trouble. I, I think I can summarize it, although I wasn't there. Um, you you were, were you chairing this harassment panel? Was that the idea or you created it? Or I was the creator, so it was a... And it, and it got canceled for a while, but then it got reinstated. Yeah. So, but it, in the interim of the cancellation, there was this huge brouhaha. Yeah. Is that basically the story? That's pretty much it. I started yeah. a panel on how to use design to mitigate harassment inside of video games, so inside of like MMOs. Yeah. And I invited Randy Harper and Catherine Cross, her two fantastically talented women. Yep. Um, a harassment campaign got started to downvote our talk because it's South by when you submit a talk, people vote on it. Yeah. Um, 
South by was really understanding at that point and just discounted the votes and said, well, we're just going to judge it based off like internally what we think of it. And they really liked it and they invited us. Um, and then it turns out at the same time, um, Gamergate had emailed South by and been like, like a group of a group of activists inside Gamergate had emailed South by and said, it's not fair because my panel and two other panels that had anti Gamergate people on it were at South by. And this is past this. This was during the voting. This is what started our downvoting campaign. Um, yeah. Gamergate, a handful of activists had emailed and said, it's not fair that there are these anti Gamergate panels. None of our panels were on Gamergate, by the way. No, right. Two yeah, of them yeah. were on. One was on VR. One was on like diversity in tech. And then there was my panel on design and harassment side of yeah. MMOs. Um, so they were actually Gamergate was like, this isn't fair. South was like, fine, you can submit a panel and let's see what happens in the voting. It turns out that that panel was never voted on. South by approved it immediately and it went in, mm. it, it went into approval. So then my panel was also approved as were the, as were one of the other panels. And I was really concerned because we, I was seeing a lot of things on Reddit around people wanting to come to my panel and be aggressive with my panelists. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I, I hadn't, my name hadn't been mentioned at all. And I was like, that's fine. It's whatever. Like, <laughs> knock on wood, but I was really concerned. So I emailed South by and I was like, just FYI, like, you know, can we talk about what security looks like at the panel? Because I'm just seeing a lot of stuff that's calling into, um, it's that, that is directed directly towards, uh, my two co-panelists and yeah. South by didn't respond. They didn't respond. I kept emailing them. And then I emailed them because my name actually disappeared from the panel. And they responded within like 20 seconds. And they were like, we're so sorry. Something's happening on the back end. Don't worry. And I was like, great. By the way, my emails about harassment. They're like, yeah, we'll get back to you. And then they're like, you know, it's a really big tent. We're into diversity voices, like deal with it. And I was like, I was like, I am not asking you to remove the Gamergate panel. I'm like, that was not in any of my emails. I'm into this diversity yeah, of voices yeah. you have. I'm asking a question about moderation and security at my panel, specifically because of these links I'm sending you directed towards my two co-panelists. I'm the organizer, so I'm in charge of this relationship between right. myself and these two other women. I am also responsible for them. Like, yeah. can we have a conversation? And then what happened after that was South by didn't respond. And they told my panel, the Gamergate panel, we were both canceled due to threats of harassment. And then my co-panelist and I tweeted about it. And then it kind of blew up. Yeah. And then South by was like, you're coming back. And so is the other. And we also pushed for the other panel to come back, too, because we were like, it's not fair if you bring sure. our panel back, but you've canceled this other panel and they were also harassed and you're not doing anything about their harassment either, yeah. which people don't talk about. But we were very much like, it's not OK that you canceled both of these panels, regardless of what we're talking on. Like, I don't politically agree with Gamergate. Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's right that their panel got canceled due to harassment and that South by like didn't understand like what they were doing when they yeah. allowed both panels. And that was also something we brought up was we were like, you really created this contentious situation. You didn't ask either panel what we wanted in terms of security, knowing that like there are opposing fandoms here and there are opposing people and this could get aggressive. Like you created the situation and you have to fix it. Yeah. So then they created this online harassment summit and we spoke there. Gotcha. Well, that is the real deal. So just to wrap here, uh, if you were a conference organizer, what, how would you address something like that? It would have been a really easy fix of like the submissions are closed. Mm -hmm. So like no new submissions can come in, you know, to handle that sort of contentious behavior that was coming. Right. And secondly, I am a conference organizer. I run a conference well, called Facets and it's around women and minorities in steam and interactive art, creative coding and media theory. And it, it's, Right now, I have 52 speakers, seven are men and half are people of color. Like, 
I mean, like half of our speakers are people of color. So that's over like 25 people. So, and we pay for flights out there and we give everyone like a little bit of a stipend. Um, so if someone tells me that they're unsafe, my immediate reaction is like, we're going to fix it. Yeah. And it's like, tell me like, you know, you're comfortable telling me whatever you want to tell me. This is a safe space. And I believe you. Right. Not like, Hey, you're overreacting and deal with it. But like, Hey, what can I do to make it better? Because like your safety and your, your ability to feel safe and be comfortable is a number one concern as is for any conference attendee that I have. Yep. Well, there you go. Great conversation. Thanks, Carolyn. Anytime. Appreciate it.